You're listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast, where we speak with founders, CEOs, investors, advisors, experts, and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines. Brought to you by Psychedelic Invest, bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is G.V. Freeman. He is a transformational guide, and we're going to talk to him about the work that he's doing with leaders, with entrepreneurs. If around transformational work, particularly that involving psychedelics, we're going to learn a little bit about his background and his choice to be in this space, what he's learning, the results he's getting, some of the people he's working with, and really kind of just his take on the world of psychedelics, the world of transformational work, and where we're kind of going as a society, as business, and really as leadership. So with all that, GV, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Before we dive into everything you're doing today and the work you're doing as a guide, let's get a little background. How did you get, I guess, what's the professional background? How did you get into this work? How did you get into psychedelics? Give us the backstory. Yeah, thanks for asking. It's really two completely separate lines. And the first line starts in a very small town in the middle of central Nebraska. I grew up in a town of 700 people. And while that was great in some ways, I got outed as a gay kid when I was 13. Mm-hmm. and Life got really challenging really quickly, and I ended up moving to Belgium as a 15-year-old, and I spent 11 months as a foreign exchange student, which, again, great. (laughs) Life expanding in some ways, and it also was me escaping reality, probably the first like geographic change that I used to escape reality. And I began developing some pretty unhealthy habits with substances over there, which continued for about 15 years. And I came back went to college, left college. I was a DJ for 15 years. I spent two and a half years for Carnival Cruise Lines working on board cruise ships, came back. I held a whole other podcast for that one. Exactly. <laughs> oh, there's some great stories. Oh, I, I came back, I was working with a booking agent. And at the same time, my degree was in computer information systems. And that's still a deep love of mine today. I spent almost 25 years in corporate at the center of like a Venn diagram of product sales and marketing. So I have launched a number of tech companies. I still own one today, co-founded one today, and we're getting ready to launch another platform in the next month or so. But what happened is in 2007, the state of Nebraska decided they didn't want me to drink alcohol anymore. And that ended up with 23 days in jail. And that was enough. Like that was the energy that I needed to to wake up, to realize that there was a problem. So I ended up getting sober in 2007. I moved to to St. Louis in 2010. I found yoga and therapy in 2012. I got my yoga teacher training in 2013. I landed in Peru in 2015 to sit with ayahuasca. And now you officially have these two paths. I was walking a corporate path and I was walking a spiritual path of like self-awakening and knowledge. And they had been pretty parallel until COVID. 
And the tech company that I was running at the time, we made 100% of our revenue from events, from in-person events. We built a platform specifically for in-person events. And within 30 days, 95% of our revenue disappeared. And within another year, we just, we pulled the plug on the entire platform. And it was that moment when like the universe had tapped me on the shoulder a number of times and maybe flicked my ear. And this was the time where the universe sort of came down and put its hands on my shoulders and like whispered to me in my ear and said, it's time to stop fucking around. (laughs) And I sent an email to all of my community and to my email list. And I said, Hey, I'm burning the boats. And I moved to hundred percent coaching. I'd been doing coaching before, but moved to hundred percent coaching and medicine work and psychedelic work. I'd been in the psychedelic space hosting groups since 2016 I started getting asked to trip sit in a very like, let's call it an unprofessional way, just a holding space way in 2017. I met my first teacher in 2018. And now I work with two or three teachers and my, the master that I study under in Peru since 2021. So now my life is about 50% coaching. It's about 50% psychedelics. That's both individuals and groups. And it's a crazy world that we are walking into right now. <laughs> so, so that was a long description, but it, the paths have merged together. Like the universe had been trying to show me what my Dharma was for yeah. some time. And now I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I'm curious as these things have come together, like where have you, I guess, sort of anticipated challenges that have realized themselves that you're working through kind of anticipated challenges that didn't actually materialize. And then things you didn't expect that you had to kind of figure out as you've kind of combined, integrated, you know, the confluence of these have come together. So challenges that I didn't expect was all of the self work that I have had to do around overwork and scarcity. I had been in the startup world for a long time. But when it's not until you are a solopreneur starting a brand new practice and the universe has just ripped away your primary revenue stream, that all of the work that I had to do around being okay, like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of the different things that I had to work through and the fears that came up around that was really surprising. I thought that... I had done a fair bit of work. I had done almost 14, 15 years of work before I went out on my own. So that was a big surprise. And I think that just like any entrepreneur, it takes time to build reputation. And that has been maybe the biggest benefit. And one of the things like I can remember my first corporate gig, I worked in a computer consulting company in Kearney, Nebraska, and my bosses there were so intelligent and so thoughtful when it came to building scalable processes and doing good work and relying on reputation. And that has been the single best thing that has happened to me in this time period, because I used all of those skills from my corporate world And being able to walk a new client who might be severely depressed or might have severe OCD or might be experiencing trauma from any number of things, a clear and concise process and walking someone through that in a very simple way 
just like we learn how to do in the corporate world, many people don't experience that in the spiritual world. The spirituality doesn't do super well with like clear communication and great <laughs> boundaries and processes and all of that. So that was one of the things that really helped me. And then yeah. I can't remember what the third question was. Well, if, I guess anything that you thought was going to be a challenge that turned out not to be a challenge. Mm. Maybe you didn't think you'd have a whole lot of challenges. <laughs> you know, anything that I thought was a challenge that wasn't. Fear that you had going into this that, you know, something might not work or you're, it was going to be a challenge or you had to overcome something that when you got into it, you realized that it just wasn't there. When I'm out of the medicine and when I am just talking about myself in the world, there was a lot of imposter syndrome mm. for the first few years. Now, the crazy thing is when you're in the moment, when you're in the work, whether it's with or without psychedelics, when you're there, that goes away. But when I would leave and I would talk about the work that I do, and because I was operating in a vacuum for a long time, I didn't really have any context. And that was a big challenge. So for, for anybody that's getting into this space right now, I, it's so much easier to build community. There are people talking about psychedelics everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't throw a rock without hitting something. Yeah. Like when I started in 2016, 2017, it was very much secretive. It was very much underground. And I had no community. I had a, a mentor and that was really challenging. So the imposter syndrome and knowing whether or not I was doing it right, not that there is a real right and wrong, but knowing whether or not I was doing it right or in, in alignment and authenticity was hard. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about as you kind of looked at the world of psychedelics, I mean, and given the kind of portfolio of compounds, plant medicine, animal medicine, lab-based things, right? Like, what do you look at? I guess, how do you organize the world of psychedelics and how have you kind of navigated in terms of what you want to work with, why you want to work with those things? What are the kind of pros and cons from sort of therapeutic process point of view, but also from a kind of business complexity, legal framework complexity point of view, like where have you, how have you navigated that and where have you made choices and, and why those? The choices I have made have been based on my path. So one of the things that I speak to a lot of is that there is no one right way to psychedelic. Anybody who can look at an individual and say, oh, well, you need to do this first and then this first and then this first and this is the medicine you should take now. And then once you do this four or five times, then you got to do this. And I know some people who have that perspective. My practice started with LSD and that was the first teacher that I worked with. And I remember the first one-on-one -on -one journey that we had done together. I took taken 600 mics of LSD and I was still walking around having mm. a conversation and that to both of us was like, Oh, there's something else going on here. 600 mics would normally make people comatose. Yeah. So that's when I realized that people with high degree of control, or maybe if we look at the big five personality scale, low degrees of openness, mm -hmm. high degrees of neuroses need a softer, gentler path into the psychedelic landscape. So what I started doing at that point was building a protocol around MDMA and psilocybin to much more gentle medicines. So that's how I ended up doing the work that I'm doing with the people that I'm doing it with, which is typically folks with trauma, OCD, PTSD, and people that are addicted to success. And they have been in control roles for a long time, CEOs, C-suite 
in general, highly successful entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, folks that have been very handsomely rewarded for being in control and getting shit done. And those folks sometimes have a really hard time dropping into the mindful consciousness space. Mm -hmm. That's how I got to where I am right now. And with the medicines that I serve, if I take a big giant step back, I still believe that psychedelics are, especially those that are coming from a spiritual and a healing place, those are managing the market for us. There are people that are out there really trying to monopolize and capitalize on psychedelics right now. And some of the biggest businesses that are operating are not being very successful, like bankruptcy, not successful. Yep. And I think that the medicine is doing that on purpose. I think that the medicines that we're serving are sentient and they have their own truth and knowledge and wisdom. And when we use them out of alignment, the universe is like, nope, sorry, you don't get to do that. And what do you think that alignment is? Like, what are the kind of principles or intentions that are kind of on in line with the essence of the medicines that we're working with? And what do you see people doing that's that's out of alignment or out of integrity with kind of the essence of plant medicines or the psychedelic medicine? Yeah. If you imagine standing with your feet apart and knowing that you can shift your weight back and forth, if you imagine your left foot being financial gain and your right foot being, let's say, healing, wholeness, wellness, the reduction of suffering is how we might reproach it in Vaita Vedanta. Um, There are two causes of suffering and reducing desire or craving and aversion are the two fastest ways to reduce suffering. So if we say reduction of suffering on the right foot and capitalistic monetary gain on the left foot, If you shift your weight too far to the left and you are more in the world of growing your bottom line, I think the medicines right now are showing us that that doesn't work. If you are too far on the right side, you can sort of get lost in the world of healing and psychedelia and traumadelics and like all of the craziness that we see comes from this really ungrounded place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my teacher says we have to become somebody before we can become nobody. And the reduction of suffering comes from nobodiness. When we let go of all of our desires and attachments and our needs, we can start becoming really happy. And that is the nobodiness. But if we do that before we have a ground, If we do that before we have operated successfully in the real world, we haven't become a somebody yet. So a lot of the spiritual communities are operating from a very deep place of spirituality, but ungrounded. And what I really try and do with all of my work is try and balance my weight between the two feet and say, money is important. It pays my bills. It pays my mortgage. It supports our church. It supports our healing community. And... It has to be in sacred reciprocity with healing and the reduction of suffering. Yeah, I like that. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, who you've chosen to serve, to sit with, like what's been kind of your focus, I guess I'll say target, and like why them, how has that evolved, what have been sort of the hard choices or decisions you've had to make in that process? So I didn't choose. I think, again, the universe chooses for us and the people who 
get referred to me are the ones who want to do the work that I am best qualified to do. And that has separated itself into three buckets, two larger buckets and a smaller one. The first bucket, let's say 40% of my clients come from maybe the world of suffering. So trauma, PTSD, OCD, those kind of major buckets are major affects. And then the second one are entrepreneurs. And I oftentimes like to say that I help humans who already have enough learn to feel like they are enough. I like that, yeah. There are so many very successful, professionally successful, financially successful humans that are walking around completely miserable. And that's the second big bucket. So let's say 40% of folks are coming there. And then there's like a 20% of consciousness explorers. They're like, they sort of sit on the, like maybe the line between intentional healing and recreation. They do not typically resonate with my medicine because I am a little more ceremonial and I'm a little more strict in the way that we use it and the ceremony aspects of how I serve medicine. So most of the explorers, if they're leaning in the recreational direction, don't show up very often. Yeah. I guess what have been some of the other challenges that you've had navigate as you have evolved your practice and the work that you do? Understanding the fine line between attraction and promotion has been a line that I constantly have to check myself. Mm -hmm. And then the second is how it took five years, five, six years before I really came out of this, the public psychedelic closet. And that's happened within the last <laughs> year and a half. Yeah. I coming out of the closet at 19 after uh -huh. being forced out at 13 was yeah. not pleasant. Yeah. Coming out of the psychedelic closet has been much more pleasant and I still have to be cautious and I still constantly check myself. What am I willing to say? Who am I saying it to? Where am I saying? How can I give education without being prescriptive? And those have been two of the hardest dances that I walk. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, you mentioned community originally earlier in the conversation and how when you started, community was scarce, tough to find, you know, very underground, sort of opaque. And that's evolved, changed for you over time. I guess, what do you feel? I guess, how has it changed, evolved? What do you feel has driven that? What have you noticed about the community? at this point, like any kind of distinguishing characteristics or insights that you have. Tell me a little bit about that. The first thing that I'm going to say is that there have always been places, especially on Facebook, on social media, Facebook that would, were open to psychonauts. There was not really a focus towards healing and growth and community. It was <laughs> buying and selling and you know, trip reports. Yeah. What I have found most fascinating is the really intelligent and intentional conversations that I am having on LinkedIn about psychedelics. And it took me coming out of the closet before I could engage in that. To be honest with you, like I had posted, I'd been on LinkedIn for 15 years or more talking about sales, marketing, and product development. But the minute that I started posting on psychedelics, LinkedIn complete, it was like I had a brand new account. Now, 
Like their whole algorithm shifted. And now all I see is content about psychedelics, which is very strange to me. So LinkedIn has been a beautiful opportunity to connect with other people. And I have made a lot of one-on-one connections from that. I think that as I was coming out, we were getting hit with COVID and that was hard to find other people. I also operate in the Midwest. That made it hard to find. I'm not in New York City. I'm not in San Francisco. I'm not in SoCal where there are big communities of people doing this work. I do think that, you know, psychedelic science was breakthrough in community to have 12,500 people show up and all want to just be in community with each other was really profound. And the more I put myself out in the world and doing it in a safe way, the more people are responding and I'm getting connected to more people doing what I do, facilitating from a place of really conscious healing and awareness. And then the other thing that I've really relied on since 2016, I've been building community in St. Louis and like there is a great spiritual community that exists here that are really interested in adults coming together and not using substances, but rather just showing up and helping each other be better human beings. Yeah. And what are some of the, I guess, challenges around community at this point? Have you noticed, you know, I guess I don't want to be too leading. <laughs> like, What are some of the challenges you've seen the community kind of grapple with or kind of take on as this industry grows and evolves? Two biggest ones right now, there is still a lot of confusion between whether or not I am doing this work for the experience or for true healing. And we have a lot of people that are showing up in circles and community that say they're using sacred medicine, but they're really a lot of cases out for the experience. They close their eyes and they look at the light show. And I see that because their lives aren't changing. Their lives aren't getting better. I see the same people showing up year after year doing the same medicine and lives don't really change. They're in this loop. So I call them experiential seekers. They got one foot in healing, one foot in recreation. The other thing that has come up most recently and where I'm focusing a lot of time is on ethics and especially ethics in the underground. We have no system today to resolve ethical issues in the psychedelic underground. And I don't think that there is a solution. I'm not proposing that there is going to be an easy solution for bad actors, but it is one of the biggest problems that we have, I think. What do you mean by that? I mean, is this people who are just not acting with good intention that are actually setting up potential harm or is it, you know, or just poorly executed that's risk? I mean, are, are there people that are actually, you know, malicious and kind of their, you know, what they're using psychedelics for? I mean, what falls into that bucket for you? All of the above. Yeah. The most dangerous, I think, are the individuals who have good intentions, but their outcomes do not align with the intention. So, There are people that are serving psychedelics right now with the intention of healing and helping people grow and wake up that are actually causing harm. And when that happens, not only is there some gaslighting that occurs within the community and to the individual who was harmed, Mm -hmm. 
but there's no recourse. There's nothing to that we can really do to stop that individual from doing what they're doing. It's not like we're going to revoke a license. Mm -hmm. Everything is happening underground as it is. So this recently happened within two and a half months ago. We had a really severe incident that touched very deeply our community. It was very close to the community. And I made a decision while not specifying the individual I did make a decision to call out some really bad behavior on social media. Again, I didn't mention the name, but what happened was within days, people from this area started reaching out to me individually saying, oh, I've also been harmed. Oh, I've also yeah. been harmed. I've also been harmed. And then people started yeah. saying the individual's name. So it got out pretty quickly. And in the end, the community did come together and some people had to make some very hard decisions about removing this individual from various groups where they were getting access to clients. They removed access to the medicine that they were serving. So the community did have to come together and do the best they could. Now, that's not going to stop this individual. What I struggled with is how do we stop them? And if there is no way, then how do we shift focus? How do we shift focus and have seekers have a safe place to go and find a facilitator. So I literally within two weeks had came up with the idea for psychedelic reviews. And right now, as we speak, there are two people developing a new platform that is going to be directory listing of facilitators that will also offer a review, some special review functionality. We're building it specifically for this market to honor the safety and complexity of working in the underground, but also having a place for people to leave reviews that yeah. don't have a whole bunch of trolls operating on it. <laughs> and I guess, where do you hope to be? Like, if you look out a couple of years, like what does success look like? What impact do you want to have? Give us a sense of the future. <laughs> this is a great question. And I have no idea. <laughs> My teacher in Peru frequently says, we may not have tomorrow. So don't worry about tomorrow. Only enjoy today. Yeah. He would say, GV, brother, just enjoy today. Just do whatever you need to do today. And that is really where I'm operating from today. We have Psychedelic IQ, the podcast. We have Psychedelic Reviews coming out. I have some courses coming out towards the end of this year, beginning of next year. And what I hope to be doing is helping people use psychedelics in a responsible, safe, and practical manner. However that manifests is remains to be seen. I will listen to the universe and see what happens. Yeah, I love it. GV, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, easiest way is to go to meet, M-E-E-T-G-V.com. Or if you want to look at content, you can go to Instagram and look at at just Jeeves, J-U-S-T-G-E-E-V-S. Great. I'll make sure the links and everything in the show notes. GV, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. Mm -hmm.